Welcome to Insightful Leaders. I'm your host, Ryan Stewart, and this is the show where I interview proven leaders of customer insights and CX who share their stories, strategies, and insights to drive meaningful change in your organization. Our guest for today's episode is Karen Wynn, General Manager of Member Value Proposition at RACQ. In this episode, we discuss why your customers should be at the heart of your organization's decision-making process. Welcome to the show, Karen. Hello, how are you, Ryan? Good, thank you. Um, I thought today, to kick things off, we could touch on the role of uh, the customer experience function in most organizations. In your view, what's the scope of customer experience and what areas of the organization should it influence to deliver a customer-centric strategy? Well, it certainly um, seems to differ in most organizations. And I um, I think, you know, the my view on this obviously comes with the caveat that it needs to be fit for purpose for the organization. But I think in a general sense, um, the customer experience or the customer strategy function, whatever it happens to be called in your organization, there's some key elements it ideally has within it um, to drive the right outcomes for the business. Um, the first and probably most obvious one is uh, customer insights. And I look at customer insights through two lenses. One is a qualitative lens and one is a more kind of quantitative or hardcore data lens. So on the qualitative side, um, ideally you'll have your market research function in that area, um, which would include your VOC or voice of customer program. And ideally, um, if not compliance management, um, the insights that come from member feedback and complaints themselves should be, um, you know, within that area. Um, on the quantitative side, I think analytics is such an important part of CX these days as well as business strategy. So ideally, you've got your analytics function um, within that same area if you're looking at it through group executive lens. Um, and that includes things like behavioural modelling, uh, propensity modelling um, for retention acquisition and, and those sorts of things. Um, I mean, overarching, most important thing is that that function needs to have a deep understanding of customers and their, their problems and um, the, how the organisation is looking to solve those problems. Um, ideally, you also have um, a CX design function there, um, creating a bit of a centre of excellence across the organisation. And that role should, that team should also expand, in my view, into a strategic advisory role. Um, CX design functions are normally fairly small. Um, so it's really important that you can provide advice and guidance to people in uh, service delivery areas across the business to ensure there is consistent experience. Um, and I think really importantly, this function needs to have carriage of monitoring and measurement tools uh, so that there is an independent voice um, in terms of how the, the business is actually delivering on its um, customer experience. Um, and, you know, that really avoids hubris or drinking your own Kool-Aid and making sure you're being really honest about what you are delivering. Um, and then I think the last thing I would say, and not a lot of organisations have this, but is to have... Um, accountability for an overarching value proposition that really sets the scene, everything from brand and the brand expectations you set in market through to how you how you deliver your service. And I think that becomes more important if you're working in an organisation that has multiple verticals. So at RSEQ, for example, we have insurance assistance and bank. They're all, you know, the verticals. Um, we have a customer function that sits at the horizontal level and uh, manages the customer relationship through through that lens. Um, probably the most important thing, have, after having said all of that, is that you do have uh, representation at the group executive level 
um, for customer to, to be the custodian and, and steward um, all of the customer outcomes for the business. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I imagine yeah. that executive yeah. representation is super important. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult to get the the buy-in and, and the permission uh, to, to accomplish what you need to accomplish. The other thing that kind of strikes me from what you're saying is um, the potential yeah. for misalignment on, on brand um, and, and the promise that brand is, is uh, how that is articulated to customers and um, how it's lived by the organisation. Um, I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this. Are there any case studies that you know where you feel like the organisation the outward-facing articulation of the brand and and the the living of it internally, particular by the CX for, uh, functions, getting absolutely nailed. They've they've got it down pat. Yeah, um, one of my favourite case studies is actually Aldi, Aldi supermarkets. Um, Aldi's obviously a, a global uh, player; they're one of the world's largest retailers, um, and they first opened their first store in Australia in two thousand and one. And in 20 short years, they've grown that to over 550 stores nationwide. Um, they're now one of Australia's top 10 retailers. Um, they're really changing the way Australians look at um, private or generic brands, and they're consistently rated one of Australia's top CX brands as well. Um, so for me, what do Audi do well? Um, I think, first of all, um, and I'll start at the kind of corporate strategy level, First of all, they have a really clear vision of what they will be, what they want to do in market and what they want to do for their customers. And that vision is to enable Australian shoppers to live richer for less. So it's very clear. It's, it's about value and, and quality there. Um, so they have a clear vision and then their clear alignment between that vision and the brand expectations that they do set in market. Um, and that flows right through all parts of the value chain to the products and servers um, that they deliver. It's embedded into everything um, they do. And they also have a really deep understanding of their customers and what they are looking for. And they understand that shoppers are time poor. Um, so they're looking for, you know, a speedy shopping experience, but they're also looking for quality and value, particularly if they're, you know, buying produce for their families. Um, and I think what's really important with Audi is that um, they've made a conscious decision not to do certain things. So like all good strategies, it's ultimately um, making the right choice between what an organisation will do and what they won't do. And they've done that in their CX strategy. So if you think about um, the, the product set they offer, um, incumbents such as Woolies and Coles, they have an incredibly broad set of um, products that they retail through their stores. What Audi have done is actually have a narrow product set, but they curate, but they, they invest significant time in curating their products and services around those core insights of highest quality, the lowest possible price. And they've actually turned what could be seen as a weakness, which is a smaller product range, into a real strength for their customers. Um, and what it does, for example, is it facilitates a faster shopping experience in store which is um, they know what their, their, their customers are looking for that. Um, it's also reduced their expenses, which in turn allows them, again, to offer greater value to their customers. Um, and you can see that through their entire value chain, entire supply chain, that focus on value and efficiency from the technology that they implement um, through to the training that they provide their staff as well. 
Um, that doesn't mean to say Audi aren't focused on customer service. They absolutely are. They train their staff to be friendly and courteous and, cust- and focused on their, the needs of their customers in store. Um, but they're really clear about what their offering is and they're not trying to be, you know, a high-end department store offering the most expensive brands. Everything is really focused around, um, you know, high value at the best possible price. So for me, they're, you know, they're one of my favourite case studies. They're not commonly used, um, but it's probably because, you know, supermarkets aren't necessarily sexy, but I really like what Audi have done. And, you know, they're really um, starting to provide a real alternative to the incumbents of uh, Woolies and Coles. Hmm. Yeah, something that strikes me about that story is almost like predictability. And when you go and shop at Audi, you know what experience you're going to get because they are so true to that brand and they understand it and they've defined it and they're living it. I'm curious, you might not know the answer to this question, but does this, the value proposition and the brand that they have in Australia, does that differ to their brand internationally? Um, certainly, the, their focus on efficiency and value is is consistent worldwide, um, and that's really when they, uh, you know, in the UK in particular, that's been their core focus there as well to, um, uh, I guess, compete with some of the more upmarket supermarkets there through this value price equation. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Consistent strategy. <laughs> yes. um, I know, you know, listeners of this show, uh, are tuning in for practical advice and it'd be remiss of me with someone as vastly experienced as yourself not to try and delve into your background and, and find um, some useful nuggets for the listeners. So would you mind yep. going into a little bit more about how RACQ builds trust and transparency with their members or you call them members, other people might call them customers and how you go about okay. defining, <laughs> measuring and building that trust and transparency? Yeah, I'm sure. So, you know, I think for me, um, I look at trust as really being the basis for all connection. Um, I think that's true in your personal relationships in life um, and it's definitely true for the organisa- relationships that customers have with organisations and organisations aspire to have with their customers or, as you said, in RACQ's case, our members. Um, and I think trust has always been important but it's becoming increasingly um, important and seen as a must-have for organisations Um and certainly the, you know, 2020 and COVID experience has, has absolutely reinforced that. And a brand or an organisation that has trust, um, it, it, trust has this incredible power to really elevate your brand and your business and drive growth. Um, and at RACQ, what we talk about is um, this notion of extreme trust or the notion of trustworthiness. And I think, first of all, it's really important to recognise that Trust is, is, is a multitude of, has a multitude of attributes. It's more than just reputation. It's more than just ethics and it's more than just credibility. They are important components of trust, but it's more than just those things. So if organizations are measuring reputation, I think that's, that's great and, and that's really important, but it doesn't equate to trust. Um, and I think it's really important to remember that trust is granted to organisations by consumers. So it's something that you have to earn and then maintain. Um, there's a bunch of different um, uh, measures and, and tools for um, defining trust. Um, and the, the Edelman barometer is one that I would recommend um, people have a read of if they're looking to learn more about trust. But at its core, um, there's two distinct attributes 
The first one is really around competence and capability. And that's really saying, can you deliver on the promise that you set in market? And the second one is about the behaviour of the organisation. So is the organisation doing the right thing? And then, of course, underpinning this is um, you need to make sure that the promise you have made as an organisation is actually aligned to the same goals that your customers have. Take example that they've done a job of that. So if I think about what we do um, at RSEQ, first of all, and this probably sounds a bit basic, but we measure trust. So we measure trust across all of our key member journeys, just as we measure NPS, CSAT and effort. Um, and it's not a complicated measure. We, we literally ask our members um, the extent to which they trust RACQ on a scale of 0 to 10. Um, we RACQ consistently achieves scores above 90%, so we tend not to measure distrust. Um, but I would recommend that for organisations with lower trust scores, that they also measure distrust as well as trust and look to understand what are the drivers of that, that distrust. So think of it as a detractors for MPS, if that makes sense. Um, we then conduct driver analysis um, across all of our key journeys so that we understand which service attributes are most important in, in maintaining this trust for RACQ. So um, at a relationship level for RACQ, the key drivers of trust um, are reputation, reliability, consistency and empathy. And they are all things that um, the data tells us, and our members tell us that we do perform well on. Um, so we, we measure trust, we understand the core elements of trust, and then we just design it into different parts of our experiences. Um, monitor the delivery, of course, um, and we build that into um, our coaching and training programs um, for our frontline staff. Um, and this, this embedding of trust, I think it's really important to do it, again, across all parts of your value chain, through to your marketing communications, um, through to um, little things, like if you have um, an internet outage for your website, if you really want to drive trust, you'll be very transparent about why, um, as opposed to saying, oh, it was a scheduled outage, it actually, you know, we will actually say, oh, you know, apologies for this inconvenience, this outage wasn't planned, um, it will be fixed by this time. And then, of course, you need to deliver on it. Um, so I think, um, you know, as I said, it's really about measuring it, understanding what, what are the core elements of trust, and then designing into every aspect of your experience, just as you might do with um, empathy or reliability. Yeah, awesome. And I'm, I'm curious to know, this, this initiative at RACQ around being so focused on trust to the extent of measuring it, potentially even measuring distrust is this what was the inspiration for that and then at what point how long ago did you decide that was something that was important to focus on and, and what were the triggers for making that decision yeah well we've been measuring trust for probably a good three to four years now as part of our voice of customer or voice of member for us program and i think um for racq we have um we have incredible um brand strength incredible equity in our brand and um, a material amount of that is based around trust. So for RACQ strategically, um, you know, we really see trust as well as our reputation and our independent voice in, in media. We see that as a real asset that we want to protect. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I think COVID's just exacerbated, sorry, it's increased the importance of that. 
So, yeah, I think it's just always been part of our, one of our core assets that we've wanted to protect. And of course, measuring it's key to protecting those things. So, got it. Um, something you said earlier, um, was that it was very important to have, um, support and buy-in at the group executive level, you know, having someone with a customer aligned title at that level. Um, and it's just yeah. me is, you know, that's particularly key to be able to implement an effective CX strategy. Um, two questions for you. One, you know, I, I assume RACQ didn't start day dot with having that executive representation um, that represented customers. So what was the journey towards getting that representation? And two, for those organizations that are kind of pushing towards that direction or are at their infancy with having that executive representation, what's some, uh, what's some pointers you can give them for implementing cultural change across the entire organization to be more focused on customer? I think um, one of the things that's a little bit different about RACQ and something for me as um, a CX professional I'm very grateful for is that RACQ is a member-owned organisation. Mm. Um, and and it, does, it does change the culture and the focus of the organisation compared to, for example, a listed company. So, you know, we're not beholden to shareholders, we're beholden to our members. We're not having to report um, to the market every three months. And what that means is we actually do have a little bit more flexibility to invest in, in long-term outcomes, and we are naturally culturally very much focused on um, focused on the customer. So I think that's just been part of our culture and our heritage for a long time because we are member-owned, because we are um, a mutual. So very fortunate from that sense. Um, I, I think certainly in terms of our RCQ's journey, I would say it's probably one more of maturing than of having a focus on customer, if that, if that makes sense. Um, and I think, um, you know, certainly the, the trigger for some of this maturing has been when uh, RACQ and QTMB, Queensland Teachers Mutual Bank, merged about four or five years ago. And, you know, historically, RACQ is really focused in on the roadside assistance provision and insurance. Um, creating a third vertical bank really started to create this need to have a horizontal focus, as I said before, and not just the vertical focus. So I think that was probably the trigger to look at creating more formal frameworks and mechanisms around CX, whereas before it, 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 it just kind of happened within each of those verticals. Um, in terms of uh, most advice, or one of, you know, certainly advice I would, I would give, um, and, and this advice does um, assume that organisations already operate with a balanced scorecard. They have some kind of custom metric at that, at that top level. But it's really to look at how you can connect um, each division of your organisation or each group executive with the outcomes you're trying to achieve from a CX perspective. And I know that sounds pretty simple and pretty obvious, but um, I, I've had, can recap many conversations over the years that I've had with group executives when they have said to me, I can't contribute towards MPS or towards customer satisfaction. Why would I have this in my scorecard? So it's really important to um, not assume that they understand that they do have an impact or they don't have an impact and draw that connection, um, draw that connection for them. Like, like any human, um, it, senior leaders, they need to believe that what they and their teams do 
can influence the outcome, can influence CX for them to really um, want to be accountable for and to, you know, they need to feel they've got some skin in the game, I guess. Um, so, you know, for example, if you're ha having a conversation with, um, might be the, the HR executive, it's really important that they understand how critical the recruitment process is, recruiting the right staff into your frontline channels, for example, the training and coaching and support functions are for getting that customer satisfaction score in channel in the contact center or in your face-to-face -face channels, for example. Um, if you have data, absolutely recommend using that. If you can show which service attributes are contributing most towards your NPS or your SAT or whatever score, whatever metric you're using, that will really help bring it to life. And that's certainly what I've found really helpful. But if you don't have a mature voice of customer program, most of this stuff is fairly intuitive. So, you know, have a conversation, even if you don't have the, the data that necessarily um, supports that. Same, I can remember having a conversation a number of years ago with um, an executive who was responsible for investment decisions on uh, digital and automation. And that executive didn't actually think that um, she was going to be able to influence CX outcomes. Um, and once I started to draw the link to the, the member effort measure that we had in our scorecard, um, they could really start to see um, not only that they could influence, they actually had a really critical role in influencing that outcome. So definitely a piece of advice if you want to drive, get ownership at that executive level and then start to drive that cultural change is make sure that you're making that connection between what that executive does day to day in your business and the customer experience outcomes. Yeah, okay, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned, you know, um, whether you, you made a particular mention of whether you have, a, uh, if you have a mature voice in the customer program, you can rely on the data, and if you don't, you have to use other mechanisms. When, when do you think, is there a, is there a common criteria or, or pattern matching that people can apply to think about when it's time to invest in and mature that voice in the customer program? Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm biased. I don't think there's ever a wrong time to develop a mature voice of customer program. Um, that being said, it's obviously going to depend on um, the size of the organisation and um, the funds that they have to invest. Um, that being said, there's there's lots of ways to do it um, without a lot of cost, and I'll, I'll talk about those in a moment. But um, you know, I think for me, um, the core kind of attributes for a voice of customer program. Um, is really that you need to have an overarching CX vision to start with or a set of experience principles. So at RECQ, we developed what we call our member experience principles. Um, you could think of them as experience pillars perhaps. Um, and there's three pillars which really guide experience design across the entire business. And they also guide how we measure CX. Um, those principles are ease, trust and empathy. Um, which certainly links to some of my earlier <laughs> points around, around, around trust. Um, and having these guardrails is really important for organisations where service delivery occurs across different areas of the business with different executives responsible for it. So it kind of sets a, a common or a shared understanding of what a good CX looks like for your organisation and how it then aligns back to your brand promise and expectations you've set in market. Um, you need to have consistent measures across all of your journeys. That enables internal benchmarking 
and comparison um, and ultimately helps with um, you know setting consistent customer KPIs across the business. So at RSTQ, um, our common measures that we measure across all customer journeys are NPS, uh, member satisfaction or customer satisfaction, um, effort and trust. Um, we also then have um, a bank of um, service level measures that sit underneath that, and there there is a common there is a common set of measures, but they are deployed in a way that's contextual to that specific experience that the member has had. And again, that really helps you um, benchmark internally and measure the effectiveness of some of your coaching and training activities or your digital design. So, for example. Um, we measure empathy across all of those experiences, which allows us to understand, well, is the, the training and coaching we're providing for empathy in our claims area as effective as it is in another area of the business, for example, um, and how we translated human empathy into digital design. Um, I also believe it's really important not to rely on just one measure. Um, I know MPS is, tends to polarise views, I think NPS is fine, so it's part of a suite of measures. Um, in terms of building your voice of customer program, build repeatable, scalable processes and automate as much of the program as you can. And that will happen naturally as you start to mature the program. Um, the more you can automate some of those processes, uh, the more time your team will have on the real value-added activities which is, of course, generating actionable insights, sharing those with the business and working with that to translate them into meaningful change. Um, absolutely, you need to democratise your data as well. So the way we've achieved that at RSCQ is to build a set of um, self-serve dashboards which all staff can access from the CEO down to frontline staff. And there's a, there's a broad range of drill downs available. So leaders can compare results by team, for example, um, by different parts of the supply chain, um, which is becoming um, really important for organisations who partner to achieve their, their strategic outcomes. And leaders can also read um, customer verbatims through that dashboard. Um, so one of the things that I find really useful is if I see NPS dip, for example, or detractors increase in a certain area, I'll just sort the verbatims via detractors and spend even spend 20 minutes reading through those verbatims and it really brings to life what that, you know, a number doesn't mean a lot without the context. It, it really contextualises that number um, and gives you a real sense of what's going on in our members at that point in time. Um, we send surveys out automatically every day after um, immediately following an interaction a member has had with us and this dashboard is updated every day as well. So the data is, um, you know, it's it's not quite real time, but close to real time. So it means if you are looking through that, you can be quite responsive and, and course correct as, as needed. Um, we've integrated our voice of customer platform with our operational data. Now, this is certainly at the higher end of the maturity curve. Um, but again, I think this is really important because it allows you to then um, model and measure and monitor the impact of various operational levers you have on your KCX measures. So we can now see, well, if our, our average speed to answer, for example, goes up or if our time to get to um, a member who's stuck on the roadside, how that varies, we can then measure the exact impact on MPS and CSAT. And that's really pretty critical because 
It allows you to invest in those parts of the experience that matter most to your members, not just matter most to you. So again, it allows you to be more efficient and get better bang for your buck in terms of your investment in service delivery. Um, and, and lastly, um, implement a closed feedback loop. Um, and if you do this right, you will be able to start to respond to customer issues before they actually manifest um, as complaints. Uh, so that's part, that's that's sort of RSEQ's voice of customer program. If you are in a, a small to medium business, there's a number of different uh, freeware survey platforms out there that you can use without having to pay uh, expensive licensing charges. Um, and there's a number of templates for standard questions, so MPS and CSAT, all those measures I've been speaking about, they're just standard questions that you can ask. So I think even if you're in a small to medium business, you can um, implement elements of what I've said with, with very little cost. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's um, yeah, it's for accessing survey software. There's definitely no shortage of choice out there. And, you know, even if you are just really reading the verbatim every, every day, I think that's a, you know, I'd argue even when you get big, you don't want to lose some degree of that because oh, when you lose it, you lose that connection with the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I know everyone quotes Amazon, but I was reading an article about, um, about Bezos's approach to customer at Amazon. And, um, you know, even as CEO, he would still take the time to, um, email customers directly and ask them about their feedback and, um, you know, read through all of their responses. So, you know, each month he sends a random 200 emails out to 200 customers. So, mm. um, certainly work for Amazon. Yeah. Um, let me take you back one step. You So we've just heard your articulation of a mature voice of customer program, which RACQ clearly have. And we spoke about um, the balance scorecards, uh, how important it is for the various scorecards across the business to have some measure of the customer experience that they can affect on that scorecard and and how difficult it was for you to get that buy-in initially how it could be difficult to get that buy-in so you've got the qualitative data and and kind of voice of the customer output on one side you've got your executive who you know perhaps doesn't see a clear connection to how they can affect that customer experience metric what are some of the tools that you're doing to try and take and translate that customer feedback into something that's more relatable to the to the executive to convince them that yes it is that it is something that they can affect and there's something they need to care about yeah um so we do we do a few things and and you're absolutely right that ability to translate what can seemingly be um a, sorry can be a seemingly meaningless number such as nps into to something that's really tangible um particularly a board and a board and executive it can be challenging um and I think the thing that's absolutely key is to ensure you put yourself in their shoes. I think as a sex professionals, um, because it's something that you live and breathe every day, um, you've got to re remind yourself that there will be other people who have, um, particularly if you're a director on a board, CX is part of your remit. It's not your entire remit. So you've got to make it real and tangible for, for those people. So, um, you know, I did talk before a little bit about RSQ's culture and the fact we're member-owned. So, again, um, our board is very focused in on our members and they're really keen to hear um, what our members are telling us as well as what our frontline staff are telling us. So there's a few things that we do anyway to bring this to life. Um, first of all, we do have a structured onboarding program, um, an ongoing program 
for our group executive, but also for our directors, for our board. Um, and this involves providing them with um, a variety of opportunities to really connect with our frontline staff and really connect with our members. Um, you know, it's not rocket science, it's, it's simple things like um, ride-alongs with our patrol so they can spend half the day um, sitting in a in a um, cab with a, a sorry, the cab of the truck <laughs> with a patrol or a tow truck driver. Um, they can spend time side-by-side uh, -side listening in the contact centre, visit our retail stores, and we have really high attendance by our directors at our member events as well. So all of those opportunities um, really allow directors to experience um, that the member service delivery firsthand and also speak to frontline people. And, you know, frontline people are an amazing source of insight when it comes to customer experience. Um, COVID, COVID did change things a little bit for us last year, um, like most people. So we couldn't have directors do ride-alongs for most of last year and we certainly couldn't have them sitting in the contact centre next to someone. Um, so we've, we've overcome that through um, a couple of means. One of, one of those is, uh, for example, we now offer virtual call listening where the director can dial in from anywhere but just hear the call and see the screens that the staff member's using um, and they can still talk to the staff member as well. So that actually works better in a way because you can see very clearly what the staff member is doing in the system whilst they're talking to the member. Um, the other thing that we have um, we've, we did last year was we ran some, um, we call our deep dive. So each, every three months we have a deep dive with our board and we set aside um, a pretty good chunk of time, normally about three hours, to focus in on specific topics that we feel be interested, that we, we feel will be of interest to the board. And last year, we really used these to focus in on on our members and on CX. Um, because of COVID, we weren't able to do some of those other activities I've just mentioned. Um, and we, we really guided those topics based on what our complaints data was telling us and our, our, voice of, our voice of customer data as well. So I ran a session, for example, in August last year um, uh, to help our board understand how RACQ was responding to COVID, how we we're helping our members through uh, you know, the COVID crisis and the experience our staff were having. And I brought in six uh, frontline staff with me for that session with the board and uh, a sort of really was a facilitated conversation um, for that, that hour that we had with them. And, you know, it's always risky taking in a group of frontline people saying, go for it, be honest, transparent, you know, answer all of the questions honestly. And obviously we didn't have a scripted list of questions with the board. But the session went, um, you know, incredibly well. Um, we had one um, female cons a phone consultant who was actually part of the financial hardship team, and it was great to hear her stories about some of the the members she had been able to help through that experience, and it really helped connect the directors with what are the real issues that our members were facing at that point in time, and 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 how RSC needed to help support our staff to support our members. So, you know, I think that's something that has continued where we're continuing to run those sessions now every three months. Um, we did one just before Christmas with our patrols. We invited half a dozen patrols in to speak to our board um, and our board really, really get a lot out of it. Uh, I know our 
a deputy chair at the time said how energised she felt by speaking to our frontline teams. Um, so that's something that kind of using that storytelling approach, but but getting um, your your actual frontline people, the people at the coalface in to do that storytelling would be really powerful. Yeah, and I've heard other people even get to the level of trying to bring customers into the board and and have yeah. them those people. And every time someone's told me that story, it sounded quite um, powerful, the effect that it had on the members of the board. So, yeah, definitely yeah. a great idea if you, if you can pull it off. Um, I've got yeah. one final question for you before we get to the rapid fire round. I believe you've just commenced a new role at RSEQ. So what's the role and what are you working on? Yeah, yeah I have. So uh, new year, new role. <laughs> so, um, so the new role um, is a general manager member value proposition um, and it's leading the group-wide transformation of RSEQ's value proposition. Um, and this really includes looking at what segment opportunities we have um, identification of future products and services for RACQ so that we can um, continue to be sustainable and drive relevance and reinventing how RACQ rewards, recognises and creates value for our members. Um, and part of um, the value proposition, and the thing I'm really excited about is it's an opportunity to look at how we can leverage um, some of our assets in a way across the whole business. So I spoke earlier um, about um, RACQ saying that being member-owned is a core asset that we have, as well as having such a high level of trust is a core asset. So, you know, part of the work on um, leading this transformation of our value proposition is to look at how we can continue to leverage uh, that trust and our member-owned or mutual status to drive competitive advantage and consumer relevance into the future, so the continues into the future. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I can see why. Sounds like a great role. Um, okay, so on to our rapid-fire question round. I'm going to ask you five rapid-fire questions about customer experience and about yourself. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, first question. What's the best piece of CX or insights advice you've ever received? Um, the best piece of advice I've ever received was from my um prior manager when I was uh, head of customer experience at Booba and his advice was just it's get the basics right when it comes to CX, make sure you get the basics right um, and I think that advice is just as relevant today as it was 10 years ago when he gave that to me. Yeah. Um, what are you most excited about in the world of CX right now? I think I'm, I'm really excited to see how organisations continue to innovate in response to COVID. Um, you know, we saw some some fantastic innovations in in 2020 from organisations who had, um, you know, government, for example, um, who prior to COVID would have thought things were never possible to do and they did organisations were able to turn things around in two to three months and really look at their businesses differently. So I'm really excited to see how that continues into 2021. Yeah, nothing like a crisis to crystallise thoughts. And <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, burning plants helps sometimes. Hey? <laughs> yeah. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Okay. So I have um, two books I would recommend. Um, the first one is called um, The Effortless Experience. So um, The Effortless Experience by uh, Matthew Dixon, Nick Tyman and, and Rick Delissi. 
Uh, it was quite groundbreaking at the time when it was released and it really challenged the idea that delighting your customers was critical to building loyalty and instead proposed that removing friction and removing pain points was actually more important. Um, the second book um, I, is called Extreme Trust. It's where we get the term extreme trust from internally. Um, it's written by Don Peppers and Martha Rogers and um, it's a really interesting examination on the drivers of trust and the role that um, having extreme trust can play in driving growth for your business. Sound like great books. I have a book called Extreme Ownership. I doubt that they're related, but I'm interested to read Extreme Trust. Um, if I was to ask you which person or company is really nailing it when it comes to CX or insights, other than Aldi, who comes to mind? Um, I'm going to pick one that is probably um, not commonly picked, and that's the ATO, the Australian Taxation Office. Mm. And I love um, you know, what the ATO have done really well is they have absolutely nailed the effortless experience. They have made it super, super easy for you to get your tax done <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but, you know, along that whole um, digital journey, um, it's it's personalised, um, your data sources are integrated, uh, it's, it's super simple and easy to do your tax return yourself and online and submit it on time. <laughs> So, ATO. I didn't see that coming, but I think you raised some valid <laughs> points. It is very easy to do your tax. It's um, not fun or sexy, but, you know, it's in, yeah. I guess from the point of view, it achieves their outcome, which is um, revenue. So. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, final question for you. What's an interesting yep. little fun fact about yourself that most people wouldn't know? Okay. So, um I, my husband and I, we share our home with um, uh, seven large pythons. So we have reptiles. Our um, our garage of our home is converted into a number of uh, snake cages or snake homes. And, uh, yeah, we have our largest python is called Max. He's an olive python and he's about uh, three metres long. So Wow. <laughs> That, look, I'm going to be honest, the thought of walking to your garage scares me slightly, but that is definitely a fun little fact. <laughs> That's really awesome, Karen. Thank you. Um, if, if folks want to get in touch with you and perhaps, you know, pick your brains a little bit more about what you've been speaking about here, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way on, on there. So, yeah, go for LinkedIn. Great. And we'll put a link to your uh, LinkedIn in the show notes and to the books that you recommend. Karen, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show.